are in a series on worship, and we are in the chapter now that is titled, A Pattern for Worship. And so I thought to myself, how can we illustrate a pattern? A pattern is an example that we have that we can follow. So I thought, let's highlight our quilting ministry. We have a wonderful ministry at our church of the quilters, and they met this last week, and they're making quilts, they're giving them away, they just gave a bunch away to um, uh, Vision Appalachia, and they're working in... West Virginia, they have quilts made for some Ukrainians. Uh, this quilt is just grabbed out of the shelf. I'm not sure where it will end up in life, um, but it is an illustration of a pattern. So I don't know what pattern you see. Maybe you're seeing the pattern of the blue stars, or maybe you're like, no, I see a pattern that is black stars. Um, there are patterns all over this quilt. And so when we take uh, patterns and we put them together, it can be a beautiful quilt like this one. And so as we look at the scriptures, we are looking sometimes for patterns. Is there a pattern we can see from scripture for how they worshiped then? Can that affect how we worship today? Now, if you've been around Northgate Church long enough, you may have picked up on there is a pattern to our worship services we typically welcome you and give you some announcements about things going on in our church family, and then we sing about three songs, and then we come up and preach, and then we sing one song to close, and then we send you out. And there is prayer and the reading of Scripture, and so we feel like that's a biblical pattern. We look through Scripture. We should be reading Scripture together. We should be praying together, singing together, listening to the Word preached together. So we feel like we have a good pattern. You visit other churches, you'll see sometimes a different pattern to the worship services, and that's okay. There are different patterns we can follow. But that's, if you were with us last week, then you saw us flip our pattern on its head, didn't you? You saw us model for you that you don't have to follow the same pattern each week. So last week we preached the word and then we sang after the sermon. And so uh, we might mix things up on you again from time to time, um, but there's different ways to approach it. What we're doing this morning is looking at a passage in Exodus chapter 24, and it's a bit of a worship service that's being played out for us, and we're looking at this passage to see, are there some principles we can learn about a pattern for worship from Exodus chapter 24? So before we dive into this text, uh, i got to set a little bit of context. So i got to sort of paint the picture for you before we dive right in here. So the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And then God, through miraculous works, delivered them from slavery in Egypt and sent them on their way to the promised land. But on their way to the promised land, he has them stop at Mount Sinai, and he wants to give them the law that they can follow now as their people as they go in to settle in the land. And so in Exodus chapter 19, we have the description of God descending upon Mount Sinai so that he can speak with his people. And it's described in Exodus 19 as a scene of lightning and thunder and, a, and smoke. It's this frightening scene as this whole mountain is engulfed in smoke, lightning, and thunder. Frightening. And then, if you're Moses, perhaps even more frightening because the cloud speaks and says, I want Moses to step into the thunderer and the lightning and the cloud and come and meet with me. And so Moses boldly goes into the presence of God and God speaks to him, and that's Exodus 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. God's speaking to Moses. When we get to Exodus 24, where we're reading today, God is sending Moses back down to the people to communicate all that he has shared with him on the mountain. And so when we pick up reading in verse 1, it says, Then he said to Moses, that's God speaking to Moses, 
Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So these first couple of verses, God is speaking to Moses. Moses is still up on the mountain. And he's telling him, go get Aaron and those other guys whose names are hard to remember, and 70 guys, and bring them back so that they can worship me. But they're going to worship from afar. So the simple principle that we want to start with is worship starts when we respond to God's invitation. So for us to worship, step one is we are responding to God's invitation. You're not just asserting yourself, walking into God's presence. You are being invited by God into his presence. You say, well, this is a bit strange because in this passage, God is inviting specific people to come and worship him. So I don't see my name listed. I don't feel like I have a personal invitation from God. And so let's just highlight this, this important observation. And that is that God isn't going to interact with you in the same way he did when he was talking with the people of, of Israel in the wilderness here in Exodus chapter 24. And Exodus chapter 24 is in what we call the Old Testament. Our Bibles are divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. And in this Old Testament section of our Bible, they are operating under what we call the Old Covenant. And like, well, what is the Old Covenant? Well, that's what we're getting right here. Exodus um, is giving, God is giving a covenant to the people and he's saying like, this is who I'm going to be, and this is who I'm asking you to be. Here's laws that I want you to keep. And so then the children of Israel are like, okay, we will keep those laws. So God builds a covenant with his people that's founded on their obedience to him. But in the New Testament, we are under a new covenant. And so we don't interact with God in the same ways they did in the Old Testament. So right, your invitation to worship is, doesn't going to sound the same as it did in Exodus chapter 24. But what we can do is we can look at these Old Testament stories, and like Scott did last week, we looked at Hezekiah in the Old Testament and how he cleansed the temple. Well, we don't worship in a temple anymore, but we can see principles from that for how it can affect our worship. Two weeks ago, I preached and I shared with you about the tabernacle. We don't meet in a tabernacle anymore, but there are principles we can learn from that can affect how we worship today. And the same way is true of here in Exodus chapter 24. So, the invitation from God to worship here in verse 1 is for a few people to worship from afar. As you and I sit here today, Jesus has come. Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. And we are now in a new covenant of grace. And so let's look at the invitation that Jesus gives us in this new covenant. There's lots of invitations. The one I've highlighted for us today is the invitation from Jesus in Matthew 11:28, 28, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's an invitation that you can take. It's from Jesus himself, and he said he wants not a few people to come and worship him, but the invitation is for all people to come. So there is this wide open invitation from God for all people not to come and worship from a distance, not to worship from afar, but to come near, to come actually very close. He says, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened. So this is what we're going to do as we walk through this pattern in the Old Testament. We're going to see how Jesus affects the pattern from the Old Testament and what it looks like for us today in this new covenant that we live under with Jesus. But what has remained the same is we worship at the invitation of God. And the invitation has been given to you by Jesus. Come. 
If you're burdened, if you're, if you're weary, come. And so we ask ourselves the question this morning, what is making you weary? What's producing weariness in you? Is it just, you know, your work? Work can do that to us. It can make us weary. Is it a relationship in your life? And as you think about that relationship, you just feel weary in it. Is it uh, finances that you're in? Is it... Could be an addiction that you're carrying that's bringing weariness. Could just be the day to day grind of life produces weariness. There's burdens that we carry. Maybe there's a sickness that is your burden. Maybe your burden is your friend's sickness. Maybe your burden is grief as you grieve over the loss of a loved one. Maybe your burden is actually something sinful. Maybe your burden is some bitterness that has lodged itself into your heart and now you carry this burden of bitterness around with you. Our sins can be burdens to us. The anger that we carry around with us, this, this lie that you know about but no one else knows about that you live out, that is a burden that you carry every day as you try to live out those false realities that people look at you and think but you know the reality, that's a burden and Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. That's the invitation to come and worship Jesus. I want us to try and apply it right now. And what I invite you to do is close your eyes and hold out your hands with the palms, your palms facing up. And as we do this, what I'd like for you to try to imagine is imagine those, whatever that is that's weary to you, that's giving you a burden, imagine it in your hands. Whatever it is, we're each unique people, we each have different burdens. So there it rests in our hands. And the invitation from Jesus this morning as you come to worship him, is let's turn our hands, palms facing down. Because he didn't come so that you would carry those things. He wants to carry them for you. He wants to give you rest. So his invitation to you is to lay it down and to worship him this morning because he'll carry your burden. Amen. That's the first step in worship is to come to him with your sin, with your weariness, with your burdens and give it to him. Let him forgive your sins. Let him give you life. That's step one. Step two in our pattern is to trust in our mediator. So for verse two, it says this, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. So again, Moses is on the mountain. God's saying, I'm gonna send you down. I want you to bring the 70 people. And then when you come back with those 70 people, I'll take you, Moses, and you'll come back on the mountain and they'll stay a far distance away. But Moses, I have special plans for you. It is Moses who was called up into the cloud. It was Moses who was given the Ten Commandments. It was Moses who was given the law of God to go down and communicate it to the people. It's because throughout time, ever since that Garden of Eden, there has had to be a mediator between God and man. And in this moment in time, it is Moses. He mediates between sinful humanity and a holy God. Adam and Eve were in that garden they were in perfect relationship with God. They had communion with God. It says they walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. 
But between walks, Adam and Eve thought, you know what, I think I know what's better for our lives than God does. And so I'm going to take this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God has told us not to eat from, and I'm going to eat from it because I think I know what's best for my life better than what God does. And once that happened, we have had a um, broken relationship with God, such so that we need a mediator. If you look the word mediator up in the dictionary, it just simply says it's someone who facilitates discussions between parties in order to negotiate a resolution to a dispute. The dispute is sin. God can no longer have this open communication now with his creation because sin has created this block. And so now Moses is mediating between God and the people. But times have changed. Jesus has come. And now Jesus is our mediator. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is now our mediator. A misapplication of Exodus 24, you would look at it and you would say, Okay, cool, I can see a pattern in this passage. I should, Moses was their mediator then. My mediator today must be like my pastor or my priest. That would be a misinterpretation of the pattern of worship here. Because 1 Timothy 2.5 says, no, there's just one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the mediator. There's not another man now. It is just Jesus. Verses like 1 Timothy 2.5 reinforce the great value that the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity plays in our religion, our faith. You see, verses like 1 Timothy 2.5 make us think, oh, uh, There must be two gods, but it says there's one God. But I thought Jesus was God. Well, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So this is how the math works in the Bible. One plus one plus one equals one. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. So what we've done is we've looked through Scripture. When I say we, we I mean all of those who have uh, tried to understand Scripture. All the Bible scholars and theologians before us have said, here's the solution. In Genesis chapter 1, God is speaking and he's creating the world. And he says this. He says, let us make man in our image. And we look at those verses and we say, why in the world would God speak in plural? Why would God say let us? Why would he speak in plural? It's because that's the first hint we get to the Trinity. That there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And together they make up the triune Godhead. And so as we go through Scripture, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so right now, God the Holy Spirit dwells within those of us who have faith. And as we worship, sometimes we can feel him. As we go through our life, he manifests fruits in our lives. But as we worship him, this is what's happening. As we worship God, our praises are going up to him and they are being mediated from our mouths, from our hearts, to God the Father through the man Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is at the centerpiece of our faith. As we sing, as we read scripture, we are are focusing on Jesus Christ because he is the mediator between us and God the Father. If you listen closely when I pray, oftentimes you'll hear me close my prayer saying, in Jesus' name, amen. That's just a pattern I've developed in my prayers to remind myself that there is a mediator between me and a holy God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And he's the only one who can do it because he was fully God and fully man. So we trust in our mediator, one who has come and paid the price for our sins and now is in heaven mediating between God the Father and us, having won our salvation.
So step one, we respond to the invitation from Jesus to worship, and then we trust in Jesus as our mediator for our worship. And then step three is we listen and obey. So Moses comes down from the mountain to the people, and it says in verse three, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. It's like he told them everything that's written in Exodus 19 through chapter 23. He he told all of them that. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They listened, and then they committed to obey. I like breaking it down into two steps. We listen and we obey. Because it's a two-step process. You have to listen if you're going to commit to obeying. So worship involves listening. That's why the Bible is always a part of our services, because we want you to be listening to the words of the Lord. Listening in some way, as you actively listen to me right now, in some way you are worshiping. And I'm not saying worship is easy. That's a, you could make that application. Sometimes worship is hard, particularly in a room that's a little bit warm today. Listening can be difficult. So worship isn't always easy. But as you actively listen today, it is worship. But we listen and obey. I feel like giving an illustration from parenting. And so my kids are, uh, as I've told you before, like i got to remember, um, uh, 12, 10, and 5. So <clears throat> we have some patterns in our home. Maybe three or four times a week, uh, I will cook breakfast. Um, i got a few things in my uh, menu. i got um, eggs. I can do pancakes, um, French toast. And then my fourth category, um, I can spread things. So I can spread cream cheese on a bagel. I can spread peanut butter on toast. And then I always have the cereal bowls. So there's like five things we rotate through. So what happens uh, whenever I cook uh, breakfast, see how I use the word cook there? When I cook breakfast, um, I, uh, I give an invitation. I say, the food's ready. Breakfast is ready. So the kitchen is here, and then directly off of it is the living room where they all are. And so I'm saying, okay, breakfast is on the table. Can you hear me? Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? I'll do that like four or five more times, elevating each time, louder and louder, until finally they come. And so the question is, can they hear me? Yes, they can hear me. Are they like being defiantly disobedient? No, it's not like defiant disobedience. They just aren't paying attention because they're children and they're distracted, and so I try to get their attention so they will come and eat something that's delicious that I have made for them. So here's what I think it is, ladies and gentlemen. I think most of the time in our lives, I don't think it's like deep, defiant disobedience. I think we struggle paying attention. I think you hear it preached. I think you hear it sung. I think you even read it in the morning or at night. I think it's even in your car radio sometimes. And I think you're aware of it and you've heard it, but sometimes we get distracted and we are so distracted as a people because the world's moving fast and there's screens everywhere and there's always something else I could be doing and we are so forgetful that I think a lot of times God is just yelling to us from the dining room, it's here. He's yelling to us from creation. I'm here. 
He's yelling to us through the radio, through your pastor, through your friends, and we just aren't paying attention. We just aren't listening. And so some good active listening to the word of God is a step of worship. Will we pay attention to the word of God as we hear it? Will we be doers of the word and not hearers only? We have to actively listen so we can be hearers, but once we are hearers, truly then we are called to be doers of the word. And Jesus is our example of that. Jesus is our example. In John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says these words, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus listened to his Father, and then he obeyed his Father. He is our example. This is how Jesus lived his life. If the Father tells me to do something, I listen, and then I do it. And the Father told me to go and walk a path of suffering and to go and be crucified on a cross. And so I listened to that, and I obeyed my Father down a path of suffering and hardship and pain. So I don't know where it is where you're struggling to connect the, what you're hearing to what you need to be obeying. Let me give you a few examples for wherever you are. Listen, because God is saying, thou shalt not lie. And so we've heard that, but sometimes in our lives, maybe we're not paying attention because obedience would be for me to confess that lie that I have told or that I'm living in. To listen would be to hear God say that we should forgive one another. But then obedience to that would be for me to do that hard work of forgiving. Listening would be to hear God say that he created us in his image, male and female. Would be listening to hear him say that he gave us a beautiful gift of sex to be stewarded within a marriage relationship. Listening would be to hear the voice of our Lord say, oh, guard your heart from lust. Obedience would be the step after having heard that for me to take the sacrificial steps in my life to make sure that I obey what I'm hearing. Listening would be an example of, of hearing God say that I should share his love with others, that I should make disciples. That's hearing it, but then obeying it would be to me to take steps that I'm a little bit scared to take to make sure my neighbor or my friend knows Jesus or trusts Jesus or can be a disciple of Jesus. Listening would be to know, like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I should be a cheerful giver. Oh, that's true. Everything I have in my life is a gift from God, and I should be generous with others. But a step of obedience is for me to actually have a cheerful spirit and be generous towards someone else or a church or a missionary or wherever that need is that God's put in front of you. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you want to know if I love the Father, all you have to do is look at my life because everything the Father told me to do, I did. So our love is communicated through our obedience and our response. As we look at God's word, we're invited to be people that listen and then respond in obedience. That's why when we put together this little booklet, and if you're new and you haven't grabbed one of these, we have more out in the foyer. But each week there is a page that is designed for scripture journaling. It's a page that's designed for you to be reading scripture at least twice a week to read a passage and then you pause and you ask God, okay, God, what is it in there that I should be hearing from you? And when that occurs, you write it down in that observation section. Oh, that's, that's what it is. I don't just want to hear that from you, God. Thank you for, for helping me see that in your word today. Now I want to be obedient to that observation. I want to, I want to obey that. And so we write that in our, our application. So this is a tool that we have so that we don't just listen, but we listen and obey. 
And just so that we're clear, again, Jesus obeyed even when the Father sent him to go to the cross. So your steps of obedience to Jesus could very well put you on a path that has suffering and and confusion and pain because God the Father spoke to his son and led him down a path that looked like that as well. So we should be prepared for what obedience to God the Father could look like in this life. Will we listen and obey? But first, we respond to God's invitation. Second, we trust in our mediator, Jesus. Third, we listen and obey. And then the fourth step is to surrender to him. This is where, this, this is where it gets a bit weird. So you're reading through the Old Testament, and there's some weird stuff. So here we go. Verse four. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. It's like saying Moses wrote Exodus 19 to 23 at this point. He got out his whatever and wrote it on a scroll of some sort. He wrote down all the things that he just heard from the Lord. Then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So that's where it gets weird, right? Whenever Moses throws a whole bunch of blood onto the whole people of Israel, Like at that point in the movie, I sort of like changed the channel. Like this just got too weird. We're dumping blood on people. That's just weird. And so we got to, you know, trust the word of the Lord. We have to try to transport ourselves thousands of years ago into a different in space and time whenever we were doing animal sacrifices, whenever God set up a system of animal sacrifices so that we would see that for the remission of sin, there has to be the shedding of blood, setting up a picture of Jesus who was to come. So we trust that that God had a purpose for all of these things and it communicated something significant to the people that were gathered there that day. It is important for us, I mean, one, not to be throwing blood on one another today, okay? No life groups are throwing any blood this afternoon, okay? Uh, But you should also pay attention in in two weeks from now, we'll participate in communion as we do at the first Sunday of every month. And if you're paying attention each week that we do communion, I say this as quoting scripture, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So this cup of grape juice represents Jesus' blood. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know why he said that? It's because in his audience mind, there was this memorable moment in the wilderness thousands of years prior whenever all of Israel was dumped blood on them to establish the old covenant to establish the covenant that Israel had with God. And then Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. New covenant, my blood. And here's your pattern of worship. You will, as you gather, you will keep this ordinance and you will regularly remind yourselves that you are now in a new covenant. You are not a part of that old covenant. You are now in a new relationship with God, forgiven with grace. So we don't have time to go into all that's, that's in there with sacrifices and everything else. What we want to draw out of here for our pattern of worship, though, is this surrender. We're picking up on the idea of surrender because of the burnt offering. It's mentioned there in um, verse 5. It says they offered burnt offerings. 
As you look through all the different offerings the people of Israel would bring to God, the burnt offering was unique from the others because when they put that offering on the altar, it was totally consumed in the fire. Other offerings that they would bring to God and put on the altar, they would consume. Maybe it was like a big barbecue grill. And once it was cooked well enough, they would take it off and they would eat it together. That's what you do with the peace offering. After it's been on the altar, then you eat it together. Not with the burnt offering. That whole thing is consumed. And so what we're saying is that burnt offering is a picture of surrender. To stand there and receive the blood is a picture of surrender. And Jesus surrendered his life for us. Jesus surrendered his will for us. In Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus says this in the garden right before the cross. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so what Jesus is modeling for us there is his own surrender. He surrendered his will. He surrendered his life. He gave himself fully, totally on the altar. His life was consumed and he died. He is the burnt offering. He is the picture of surrender. And then the Apostle Paul tells you and I in Romans 12, 1, okay, now I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Just as Jesus surrendered his whole self in worship to God the Father, so you and I are now called in worship to surrender our whole lives to God. That's easy to say and it's hard to do. It's easy to say in a moment like this. Whatever you say, God, I will do. Twice the people of Israel said, whatever you say, God, we will do. It's easy to say and it's hard to do. You turn a few pages further and a few more chapters in um, Exodus. Moses is going to go back up the mountain to meet with God. The children of Israel, they're just cleaning the blood off of their skin. This amazing moment. Moses still isn't back yet. Maybe we should get our gold and melt it down and create a false god like they did in Egypt and worship that false god. And Aaron's like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. Yeah, let's do it. And we, we chuckle because it's so absurd. How could you do that? You just committed yourself to this way. You said you would do it. And then some time passes and you just revert back to your old ways? Who are you? You and I are going to do that this week, ladies and gentlemen, just in different ways. It's easy to say and it's hard to do. We're going to leave here today and there's going to be a common point in this week and the next seven days where you are probably going to look at yourself and be like, why did I do that? Why? What is wrong with me? I remember sitting in church. I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm, I'm going to listen and obey this week. I'm going to give you my whole life this week. And here I am. I can't believe I did that. So when that happens to us and it's bound to happen, here's the answer. You replay the pattern. Just circle back to the pattern. Just, just say like, oh, what's the first step? Oh, it's respond to the invitation. Jesus' arms are open wide and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And you say, God, I, I, I can't. I'm just embarrassed to my sin. I'm, I'm just so ashamed. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Don't carry that burden of your sin. Come to me. And you say, yeah, but what about the sin, God? And Jesus says, oh, but this is the new covenant. 
And your sins have been forgiven. They've been washed away by my shed blood. So now you come to me because I died for those sins. You give them to me. And now when you're with me, you've come near and you've been in my embrace. Now listen, my child, go and listen to my voice and obey me and surrender to me. And you go out from his presence afresh and anew in worship of him. And we replay this pattern week in and week out, more and more in love with God, more and more appreciative of his grace, more and more grateful, more and more worship. And the last step in the pattern is enjoy peace with God. So verses 9 to 11, also strange, but in the best way. Verses 9 to 11, then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like, it, like the very heaven for clearness. <clears throat> and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is one of the most amazing moments on the, on the pages of Scripture. There's not another moment like it. You've got theologians and Bible scholars thoroughly confused by this moment. Because you have other passages of scripture that say blatantly, like 1 John 4.12, no one has ever seen God. So that adds a layer of complexity. No one has ever seen God. But they came down from that worship from afar, and they were like, we saw God. And so the theologians, the Bible scholars are all like, well, what did they see? We don't know. So there's all kinds of, we should, you know, God gave you an imagination, and he wants you to be filled with wonder at this scene. So some people think, well, maybe he removed like a veil and they were looking up into heaven like through the floor, this blue sapphire floor. And you know what they see? They see his feet. That's what's referenced. Others think like, well, maybe they just saw some shape. Maybe they saw some, some outline, some shadow. And so they came back and said, we saw God. But God says, well, no one's ever seen me. But, but they were like, what's most astounding to me about the whole description is that they ate and drank with God. They had a meal with God. They were probably eating the peace offering. The peace offering is one that you would eat. So they probably had the peace offering, went towards the mountain, and from afar, they sat down there, and God appeared to them, and they looked up, and it was beautiful and majestic and full of wonder, and they had a meal with God. It's amazing. You know, sometimes we're in these conversations and someone will say, like, if you could pick anybody throughout time and history to have a meal with, who would it be? And whenever you ask that question, like Sunday school or life group, you have to say, you're not allowed to say Jesus. And then, you know, some good church person says Paul. And then you're like, okay. Um, but um, this because the best answer is Jesus. It's the best answer. To have dinner with anyone in the history of the world, it would be with God because the questions you could ask, the stories he could tell, what an amazing, wonderful moment that could be if we could share a meal with God. And yet that is the very invitation that Jesus extends to you and I. We are told in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says these words to us. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with them and he with me. If you think the idea of an intimate, personal meal with Jesus sounds lovely, that is the invitation to salvation. That is an invitation for you to put your trust and faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
He describes that as a meal. He will come in and eat with you. That's his desire. That's how you should think about your relationship with God. It's not just something special in Exodus chapter 24. That is Jesus' invitation to you every day of your life. He wants that time with you. He's knocking. How will you respond? Do you trust him enough to open the door? Will you listen to him and obey him? Will you surrender to him? Because if you will, you will enjoy peace with God. Makes me think of the best Thanksgiving dinners, the best wedding receptions, those moments when you're all together with the people you love and there is just joy and laughter and food and drink and fellowship and peace. And God says, that's it. That moment Oh, that's who I am, and that's what I want for you and me to have forever. Peace with God. This is the pattern. Respond to the invitation. Trust in him. Listen and obey. Surrender and enjoy peace with him. As we do that pattern throughout our lives, our lives begin to look like a beautiful quilt because the pattern is just repeated again and again and again and again until your life and my life becomes a beautiful piece of art. As we repeat this simple pattern of worship with our holy God.